hey, it's Kia. And I just spent the last uh, three nights and four days-ish in intensive care in Colombia and wanted to talk to you about it. A um, couple things. One, I'm recording this in the middle of the day, so if you hear a lot of papaya, piña, aguacate maduro, um, that's just people selling very mature avocados in the street. And uh, I wanted to, because there's a special episode, I'm not hitting you with the blah, 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 creative contact, blah, blah, blah. We could be anywhere in the world. Spiel, because it's a special episode. And because a special episode, it needs a special uh, advisory, which is, number one, if the talk of needles and injections and things of that nature make you uncomfortable, this is not the episode for you. If the talk of piss and poop and blood and bodily fluids is not your thing, this is not the episode for you. If the discussion of things rather morbid, uncomfortable, and kind of deep discussions are not your thing, this is not the episode for you. But if you are down to... uh, talk about all of those things, then I've got quite the story for you. Um, I, uh, I was thinking the last few days, I was like, man, if I make it out of this thing in one piece, this will make one hell of a story. And I'm excited to share it with you. I also want to say up top of the episode, um, thank you for all the love that, that, and the support that you guys have shown me. I realized I made a mistake. I should have released this video before I released the post about being in the hospital because, um, I think people still think I'm still in the hospital, but I'm not. Obviously, I'm here doing this episode for you. Um, And I want to, because if you're just tuning in just for a hot second, um, I also wanted to say what type of content creator would I be if I wasn't trying to port my eight monthly podcast listeners into my career as a famous rapper. So if you're here on YouTube, no matter what podcasting platform you're on, like, subscribe, leave a comment. Uh, it helps the algorithm. <laughs> I, I've got to plug it. And we're sponsored today. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm going to take advantage of your sympathy while I got it and um, uh, share, try to, get some, try to get some podcast subscribers out of it. So thank you for tuning in. For real though. So I want to Quentin Tarantino this thing where I'll tell you up front what the punchline is and then we'll, we'll give you some context and tell you the full story. But... What got me here this time, I ended up in the hospital because of drugs, and that's that, That's what we ended up figuring out by the end was it was drugs, but how we got there, I think, needs a little bit more context, and this story actually starts back when I was a kid in sixth grade when I was in a skiing accident, and I ruptured my spleen off of a ski jump, and that night... Uh, I had had another spleen growing up, so I wasn't allowed to play contact sports, but I ended up rupturing my spleen, and a couple strokes of good luck that night, one was I was skiing with two buddies, and so they were able to go down and find the chaperone of the ski club, for the ski club in my middle school, and the chaperone happened to be my dad that night, and so they, my dad ends up coming up, finds me on the slope, and shout out to Cody Medrick, Andy Mosier for going down to tell my pops, still appreciate you guys, um, and then... I get rushed to the hospital, the local hospital. They, they're like, this. I think this needs something more specialized, and they rush me to another hospital um, in the ambulance. I'd also got a concussion that night when I crashed, so I just have little flashes of that, of that night. But um, I do remember some vivid feelings that um, I encountered again recently with this kind of recent adventure of those... Um, the fear and, and other kind of things that, that play into it that I'll talk about in a little bit. Anyways, after that accident, I'm in intensive care in the States for five days. And they, they figure out that something's really wrong with my blood. Um, and I have these really low platelets. Before, I'd thought it was maybe because of the spleen, but I still have them. I have a partial splenectomy, which means they cut out part of my spleen and they put some little screws in there to stop the bleeding. So I still have part of the spleen, but it, they can't, we aren't exactly sure what's going on, but at least they saved me and it's cool. Fast forward, next chapter. Um, throughout my whole, that whole childhood too, after the whole spleen thing and before I saw a hematologist and they're like, Kia, you can't drink because you have low platelets and alcohol is a blood thinner. And so growing up, if you ever gone out together, if you ever party together, you know, I don't really drink. 
fast forward past college and until about 10 years later, I'm about 25, 24, 25, and I'm in Philadelphia. And I still don't exactly know what's going on with my blood. I, I get tested maybe once every six months or so um, and see what's going on, but don't really have an answer for it. And so I end up living in West Philly near University of Pennsylvania, which is like this, one of the like leading medical research institutes. And so I'm like, this is my time to figure out what's going on. Have a bunch of different tests done, uh, including one which is like a bone marrow biopsy where they take a needle that's like about that big, or at least it felt like it, and they stick it into your spine. It has to be a big needle because it has to go all the way through your skin, it, through your bones, into this middle of your spine to get your bone marrow so that they can analyze your genetics. And they figured out that my actual, my actual blueprint for creating blood cells was messed up. And so it wasn't having to do anything with the spleen or whatever, just the way my blueprint, when my, when my body makes blood, it makes just crappy blood and low platelets. It doesn't get the, it doesn't quite get the proportions. <laughs> it doesn't get the ingredients right. The chef's cooking up the things in my body just don't, they don't get the ingredients right. And it's related to, by the end of it, that all the results were inconclusive. And the doctor said, okay, we don't really know what this is, but it's two options Two ways this could go. One, you could we don't know really what it is, but you could grow out of it, which is cool. Bad news is it could go south, and you might just have – you could end up just hemorrhaging internally or in your brain um, if you don't keep an eye on it. So things could go south. So every few months, get your blood checked just to make sure. Um, they did also figure out it was on my – it was X-related. So I was through my mom's side. Um, it's through an X chromosome. And that it was just luck of the draw. My brother doesn't have it. I just got the lucky card and happened to get this weird genetic blood disorder. But I didn't think too much of it back then. I mean, I was bummed. But it was also one of those things which I'll talk about a little later on. That's kind of a nice wake-up call. Same as with the crash with the accident before. To just say, hey, kind of pull you out of the matrix a little bit. And after I got that diagnosis, I was 24, 25, I quit my job. I went to bartending school, and that was kind of the beginning of the end of normal life for me. And pretty soon after that, um, I wanted to take the music more seriously, So I, and I realized that we're all dying slowly. And so uh, that when I started the digital nomad journey, and that was about four years ago. Fast forward into last Wednesday. Last Wednesday night, I wake up, and I feel some like pressure in my stomach. And I'm really cold, like those kind of like cold sweats where you can't get warm, even though I was putting more blankets on and stuff. Thursday, I have a bad headache. I wake up with a bad headache and just don't feel great. So I go to the store. I just walk to the store in the morning and I walk to the pharmacy and I wanted to get some some drugs because I asked the pharmacist, I was like, hey, do you have anything for a headache and anything for like a stomach ache? And she gave me a few different options, but... They all had, and none of like the name brand things were here that I could find. Like I've been looking for Tums for weeks, couldn't find them because I love Tums. And then also they don't have like Tylenol or Advil. It was just, it would be all these other brands that might have those, the, the active ingredients, but a lot of them had caffeine and I don't, I don't like caffeine. It makes me jittery. I don't take caffeine. And so I was trying to find drugs without caffeine. Ended up finding one that was uh, acetaminophen straight. And then for the stomach, I bought some Alka-Seltzer because it was a one name brand I recognized. And I was like, oh, I know that's like, take that as for your stomach, whatever. And weeks before I had got some muscle relaxers for, I'd had some pain. Uh, I'm talking about boxing training, I recommend some muscle relaxers, which I'd taken before to help me sleep. And so that day I ended up taking a little drug cocktail of acetaminophen, acetaminophen, I don't even know how to say it in English anymore. That, whatever the active ingredient is in Tylenol, some Alka-Seltzer, an Alka-Seltzer pill, and then later in that afternoon, evening, to deal with like the pain, um, I was just like really, sometimes it was really tight, I took the muscle relaxer. Friday morning, wake up, feel great, I'm like, cool, we're set, no problem. But that morning, Friday morning, um, and this is when it starts to get a little bit TMI, is I'm a regular guy, meaning, you know, I use the bathroom same time pretty much every day. I, I'm a part robot, so I eat pretty much the same things every day. And so I do my normal thing in the morning. 
and I noticed that my my stool is different. Um, and as a guy, I don't know how gross about this. As a guy, like we check that. I I feel like it's like a cool morning accomplishment. I'm like I made that with my body, and I start off the day right. This though, I was like something was weird. It was it was black, and it was almost like it was like sticky, like almost like tar. Like it was it one of those things where I was like I was like this is weird. But I thought I know that things like Pepto Bismol and things of that nature can change the texture of your, of your stool too. So I was like not really sweating it too much. I was like, didn't think too much about it. Went around my day. Friday felt great. Crushed the hard legs workout. Everything was cool. Um, little bit of kind of pain in my stomach again after lunch, but nothing crazy. And then Saturday I wake up and I feel weird, just really weird. And again, the weird stool stuff. I was like, Hmm, that was when it really kind of started popping my radar. I was like, what's going on? And so I go to boxing training that day and I just, I'm, I can't jump over for like more than a minute and I feel like I'm winded. My boxing trainer shows up, but I do a little bit of shadow boxing, barely. It's like, I'm having a hard time doing that. We run a drill for maybe a minute or two and I'm gassed. Like it's hard for me to even keep my hands up in like a defensive position. And I'm like, I'm like, Hey man. I was like, I, I was like, I honestly can't do it today. I was like, let me buy you breakfast. So, you know, sorry if you're wasting your time. Let me buy breakfast. We'll just chat and chill for a second. But I ain't got it today. And I just felt just so weak. It was really strange. And also because of the stool stuff that morning, I Googled what makes your stool black. And it was like, these are different foods, blah, 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 blah. One was blueberries. I eat a lot of blueberries. So I was like, okay, I'm not eating my blueberries today. I'm not taking any drugs today. We're just going to roll and see how it goes. That day I ended up just reading a lot because I just like don't have it in me. And um, I really start when I start to like sit up, I might feel like a little bit lightheaded. And again, I don't think too much of it, but I notice something's different because normally I can eat a lot. I'm like a bottomless pit and I can only eat, I can only eat maybe like some of what I'm eating before I get this like stomach pain. I have to like lie down. So I'm like, Something is just off. I don't know what it is. To be honest, because I was so winded from the boxing, I thought I was actually COVID. I thought maybe I was getting COVID again. That same kind of a weird feeling if you had COVID where you just feel off. Sunday morning rolls around and Sunday morning, like clockwork, I chat with my buddy Dave. He lives out in Asia. He's 12, year, or 12 years. We're 12 hours apart. So my, I wake up my Sunday morning, I go on a long walk. I don't work out that morning and I go to the grocery store, chat with Dave and... I can't make it to the grocery store without needing to like sit down and take a break or come home. Um, I, I, I get to the grocery, I get my grocery, I'm walking home, I feel like sit down and take a break. And I'm a dude, you know, I'm a pretty active guy. So I'm like pretty bummed. I'm like, I don't know what is going on. Out of breath, just talking to Dave, walking into him from the grocery store, get home, put my groceries away. And I try to eat some breakfast. I try to have one of my favorite meals, favorite breakfast, just meals in general is like fruits and uh, it's like a banana, it's an apple, and some pineapple, and some rice cakes with peanut butter. It's like my, I love that. Like, I can eat bananas and rice cakes with peanut butter all day. So, I make it through like half the banana and half the apple and like one rice cake, and I'm, I feel like full. And I'm like, like that pain, that pressure in my stomach. And I'm like, what is going on? I have to go lie down. I'm like, half a banana? I was like, what has happened? So, I Google again, what makes your stool black? and sticky. And that was when, that was the key because that was when all of the results popped up. And if you have any medical experience, you've already known what this was. I didn't, it didn't even occur to me. All the results pop up that it's like, normally when your stool is black and sticky, it's a sign that there's been internal bleeding of some sort in your kind of upper, I believe it's like upper gastrointestinal area. And the reason it's black is because the bleeding has happened and the blood is already oxidized. So by the time it goes through, boop, 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 the rest of your digestive system it comes out and it's that viscous kind of texture, but it's, it's not red anymore. And so that's why it never really occurred to me that like maybe it was, I was bleeding or not. And so at this point, when I look at the, when I look at the, the, all the signs and they all kind of point to, yes, I realize I've been possibly internally bleeding for about two or three days. And that's why it's gotten kind of progressively worse, but it's been kind of like a slow, um, it's like a slow kind of downward slope. And 
I'm like, might be a good idea to go to the hospital just to get this checked out. But it's a WebMD, so no matter what you Google on WebMD, you're going to die. So I try not to think about it too much. And so, but I don't even clean up the kitchen. Like, I, I don't even, I think I'm going to go for like an hour to the hospital. So I get like my hat, I have my, my little like wallet, jacket and shoes, and that's it. I don't bring anything. I didn't even clean the kitchen up. I thought it was going to be back in an hour. Go to the hospital and um, go into, it's a Sunday afternoon, so there isn't really, it, the only thing they have is urgent care. And I show up, I wait in my little line, I talk to the nurses, I'm like, hey, I have this going on. When I Googled it, I was like, the internal bleeding thing, I was like, I think this is what it might be. They're like, cool. And then they lead me to... Um, the place where like the real nurses are and they ask for a stool sample, give them a stool sample. And they have me kind of like sectioned off the place where it's almost like, um, it's a, they have these recliners set up. They're like these big chairs and, but they're only partitioned off by like a curtain. This isn't like a real, real section for anything. This is almost like in between like kind of emergency waiting room and like other real stuff. But I'm in there, the lady next to me has had some crazy operation or something. She's like missing part of her arm. She's crying. The person next to me, other side of me has had something crazy going on. I'm sitting there and the nurse comes in and she like has like a gown. I'm sitting there. So all I've done, I'm still in my like citizen's attire, whatever you want to call it, like casual clothes. And then she comes in with like a gown and like a little thing with like blood pressure. And she she's trying to tell me, she's like trying to tell me something, but... Um, I can tell she wants me to stay and I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm feeling lightheaded a little bit of pain in my stomach, but nothing crazy. And I'm like, I'm not trying to stay here. So I'm a little bit resistant to it. And she's like, I, and I don't quite understand what she's saying. Um, but then she goes, she gets a, a like a doctor woman to come in and the doctor woman speaks some English and she's like, no, she's like, you're staying. She was like, not very friendly. She was like, this is what it is. She, and and she was, I was like, can I just go home and get my things and come back? She's like, no. And then she left and she, in Spanish, she was talking to her. She's like, why are you here if you don't speak Spanish? And I was like, I'm sorry. I do. I speak some Spanish, I promise. But um, I just not medical Spanish. And I could tell she was not thrilled. I was like, I guess I'm not the, the only gringo to come to this hospital who doesn't speak a lot of Spanish. Um, my buddy, I text my buddy Vlad, who lives in my building. Shout out Vlad one time. And he brings me my backpack with some things. I'm like, dude, thank you so much. Sorry to be a pain in the ass. I'll be out like tomorrow and I'll, I'll I don't know. I'll, I'll take you for a slice of pizza or something. Like, I'm sorry about the headache. He's like, no, it's all good. I go back. I sit in my, I sit in my little, my little recliner thing. Changing my, she has me changing my hospital gown. I said, I'm, I'm still wearing my hat and I'm wearing my, I'm wearing jeans and like a hospital gown. And I'm like, just texting my phone. And then I'm just sitting there and thinking that this could go, this doesn't feel crazy serious, but like maybe it could be the start of something serious. But I start to think like it's crazy I'm starting to feel myself here again. Like the kind of that little bit of tension, little bit of um, little bit of fear, I think, of it being like, mm, maybe this is something a little bit more serious than I thought. So I'm sitting there in a chair, and I just decide, I'm just thinking about life and how we ended up here, whatever. And excuse me. And I, I sort of feel just tired, and I'm like, I'll just close my eyes for a second. Close my eyes for a second, and then I feel a prick in my arm, and I wake up. And I'm on my back. And it's one of those, like, from the movies where you wake up and all, it's like all the nurses' faces, it's like the light ab above you and all the nurses' faces are, like, looking over you. And I just wake up like that. And I feel super lightheaded. Um, almost like I'm floating. I just, like, I like that thing where I'm like, whoa. Like, you're, you're almost, like, not even there. And... All the nurses are speaking really fast in Spanish, like "Donde, donde tu vas? Que pasa? Like, where, where did you go? Where are you going?" Um, and there's one doctor that speaks English, and she's standing over me, and she asks me how I feel, and I just tell. I remember I just said "Tengo frío." I just remember I'm, I'm like I'm cold, and just just really lightheaded, and 
they're trying to, I feel that the prick of my arm and they're trying to, they're trying to put, they're trying to put, they're trying to either get blood or give me some sort of an IV. I can't really figure it out, but they keep poking me like with the needle and I'm kind of like there, but I'm not, it's really hazy and they can't seem to get whatever they're looking for in these veins until finally they poke me like three or four times and they can't figure it. They can't get anything. And then the, there's a doctor there who speaks English and she comes over and she's like, turn your head to the side. I turn my head to the side and they jab me in the jugular. And so a lady just stabs me with a needle in the neck <laughs> and I can't, I'm not sure I still have the, like the scar from it, but she jabs me with a needle in the neck and then they're like, cough, cough, cough. And so I'm like, cough, I'm like trying to cough and apparently they get what they need from the jugular. So that's like the one vein that ended up working for them. They lift me onto a, like the little, the little stretcher bed thing and they tilt me back. I think so more blood can go to my head. And I just remember feeling, it's kind of that like you're drift, I feel like you're, you're drifting where you're kind of like in and out a little bit. And I just remember feeling really cold where I'm so cold, my teeth are chattering and I'm shivering. And I'm not sure at this point if it's because of lack of blood or also because I'm scared, but I just, I feel so cold. And uh, they wheel me, they wheel me off to another room. In that other room, they, uh, another doctor comes in, apparently I switched to another doctor, she comes over, and again, they're trying to poke me in all these places, and they can't seem to get any blood from all of it, and so I'm not exactly sure what happened, but so on this hand, one, two, three, four, five, six, on this hand, I'm not sure if you can see it, I got poked like five times, six times on this hand, boom, and then five or six times on this hand a bunch in like the your little like elbow hole opposite elbow little crevice so so they're poking me with all these needles and they can't seem to find any veins that work they bring in like a guy who's supposed to be really good at finding blood or something he can't find anything and then they bring in like a lady who's supposed to be really good at finding stuff and she ends up they, they poke me all these different times. They can't, they can't seem to get it. I'm shaking. And the, she ends up using one on my foot. And it hurts like hell, but it ends up working enough to t they kind of like can get me kind of like stable to come over. And the doctor's like, hey, she's like, you've lost a lot of blood. We're going to give you a blood transfusion. But I just like, can I sign this document like on your behalf? I'm like, please. She signs the document. And um, then... A little bit of time passes. I'm still super cold. I'm kind of in and out of it. And the guy brings over some bags of blood. And they 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 inject the blood, I think, into my neck. Um, I don't really remember. I just know that I had I had a needle in my arm, a needle in my foot, a needle in my neck. Well, they used one of the three to get me some blood again. And I started to kind of like level out a little bit. And then the it's an interesting element of kind of the difference i think between my my experience with hospitals in the states and here in columbia is the way the payment works and so at this point before when i'm sitting in the chair the right when i arrive a guy comes over he's like hey if you're going to stay the night we need you to like you can choose between these different rooms and we're going to need to charge you at least a million pesos which is i think it's like 250 dollars. i was like okay fine it's cool i pay up front boom after I get the blood transfusion, another like they get me stable, and then another little lady comes in with a credit <laughs> with the credit card machine, and she's like, "Hey, we're gonna need to charge you again for like for this and that." I was like, "It's totally fine." Like, like my, I just like pointed the thing. I'm like, "There's my credit card." I'm still like kind of out of it. Charge me again. It's all good. And then I start to kind of like level out. I start to like regain. Like I'm not so fuzzy anymore. And at this point, I don't know. Maybe it's 8 p.m. Something like that. Um, and they're like, we're going to transfer you up to the, to like the intensive care unit because we need people to like take, keep an eye on you throughout the night. I'm like, that's cool. So they wheel me through up into this intensive care unit room and they give me another bag of blood and I, I just kind of pass out that night. Um, I'm just out of it. That morning I wake up and that's the day that we're going to do the endoscopy, which is the thing where they... Um, I didn't know what it was, but pretty much they were going to go, they put a camera down your throat, search into your stomach and see what's going on. And so they, 
Uh, they give me that morning another bag of blood and a, like a bag of platelets, like super platelets so that I don't bleed or anything. I have the end of late. I just pretty much I'm laying in bed that day. I'm connected to all these different machines and um, there's a nurse on duty that morning who is like my, I name her like my guardian angel and she's just like super sweet to, to me the rest of my time that I'm there. Because it's like intensive care, pretty much the, every shift, every 12 hours, the people change. So it's not like I really get to like, I'll like go to sleep at one point and like wake up and like all the people attending me are like different people. So you don't really get to like make those cool relationships really, except for this woman. She's kind of like one of like the head nurses and she speaks a little bit of English and so she'll come in. She's one of the like rock stars from my stay there. She came in, she like checked on me. Um, every time and she was just like kind of like small and just so sweet one of the people that's just so sweet and make sure everything's okay and so pretty much that morning i'm kind of in and out of it but that afternoon i have the endoscopy they they hit me with some morphine they bring this big machine into the room and they put this tube down into my stomach to see what was going on um not comfortable but wasn't the end of the world either and they they don't find anything they're like they're like they're like the some of the tissues on your organs seem really thin, but like but they're like we don't we there's no cause for bleeding here, so we're gonna need to do a colonoscopy. I'm like okay, um, that's fine, whatever, um, whatever we got to do. So that ends up being that afternoon, and then the shift the people change like their shift again. It may be like f- seven. I think the shifts are like seven to seven, and so the people change again at seven. And I just know that Tuesday I'm going to need to get a colonoscopy. And my, the gastroenterologist dude comes in and he's like, hey, he's like, you're going to have to drink some, like, some of this weird stuff. But um, he's like, it's for, the, it's for the procedure. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Didn't know what I was agreeing to. That night they changed shifts. And around 10 or 11 p.m., the nurse lady comes in and she mixes me up this batch of like, what has to be the most terrible thing I've ever drank before. And it's not like a cup of it. It's like those big two liters pitchers that like your grandma would make like iced tea for you and the family and for like the whole family, like one of those big two liter pitchers filled. It's with this orange liquid. And I remember when I was young, I'm not sure if they had this wherever you're from, but in the States they had this, two liters soda, orange soda called Slice. And it was delicious. And me and my buddy, we would get these two, we would get big two liter things of Slice and we would stay up all night and just play World of Warcraft and Call of Duty and watch Family Guy and Robot Chicken and it was just the best. This stuff was like, if Slice was for the devil. It was like devil Slice. And it was orange but it was so sweet and it was also salty and it was terrible. And I was like, what? I was like, I have to drink this whole thing. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, oh my God. But I knew it's a, because I had a colonoscopy the next day, I know it's a laxative. And so I'm like, well, what happens when I have to, I was like, can I like, do I, can you unplug me from this stuff? Like, can I go to the bathroom? And she's like, nah, she's pretty much like, she's like, you got to shit in the bed. And I was like, wow. I was like, this is going to be a night. This is 11 p.m. I make it halfway through this two-liter thing, and I'm like, I can do this. I was like, I made it halfway through. I was like, I got this. I can make this happen. So I'm halfway through this pitcher of Devil Slice, and she comes in, and she's like, she gives me, she's like, you've got to do three more. She gives me like the, she gives me the four. She's like, you've actually got to do four. She gives me, she tells me that what I think is that I have to do three more of these. She gives me the four. And so I think I have to drink four of these pitchers. And I'm like, no way. And she's like, yeah. She's like, you got to do four. And so I'm thinking I've got to do three more. And that, that thought just about crushes me. I'm like, no way. But I finish this one and I knock out. I wake up two hours later. It's maybe 1.30 a.m. And she's mixing up another batch. What I forgot to tell you was 
at 11 when she came in and we met, she'd given me, she started, she hooked me up into a new IV thing. And I was like, what's that? And she's like, that's anti-nausea medication. This stuff is so gross that they give you medication so you can handle this medication. Anyways, she comes in, she makes up the second picture and I just stare at this thing. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, what? It, it was one of those nights where I'm like, this is going to be, it's mental warfare. At this point too, the laxative is kicked in. And so they don't let you go to the bathroom because they are, it's protocol. They can't let, they can't disconnect you from the machinery and stuff. So I have a bedpan. And so you have these like bouts of like crazy of the runs that you have to shit in the bed while you're hooked up to all this stuff. And it's not like they're there to like help you and like clean you and stuff. I was just like, I just kept asking her for like paper towels and then they'd have this button and, and so you're like shitting in the bed and peeing in the bed, obviously with like, there's this little container thing, um, on a bedpan that's maybe like, I don't know, the size of like a, one of those big saucers that you put pot, you make pasta in and since it's a laxative, you got to do it a lot, right? You got to do it a lot of times. And so I'll, I'll, I'll pretty much have this, like, you'll call the nurse in. And I know this is a tangent, but like the nurses, the women in Columbia are beautiful. And especially I've got a thing for kind of like professional women as it were. So these like beautiful Colombian women are coming in, these Colombian nurses. And I just feel so bad. I like, they come in, I'm just like, I'm so sorry. Like, and they sort of like clean up this like bucket of shit that I'm in. Like, it's just so, it's, it's like very humbling night and it was really tough and that second picture was like one of the hardest things I've had to do in a really long time um but I approached it like like any interval training I googled it and you're supposed to drink like an eight ounce cup every like 20 minutes and I was like I'm I'm not that type of a guy I'm like I gotta just tackle the thing and just like go for it and so I was like I can approach this like I do my interval training I'll be like 30 seconds on two minutes off or like 15 seconds on, one minute off. And my strategy was with the straw that came with the straw that if you could, if you chomped the straw far enough down, you could swallow it without having to totally taste it. And because it's in a pitcher, your face is like in it. And so to, when I, I would be drinking it and to breathe, I would have to either like turn my head away or another strategy I found was they had this hand sanitizer that was potent and it was like flowery, but it was that alcohol flowery grossness was better than having to breathe in the leaders of this stuff. And so I would, I'd be drinking with like holding my hand on the straw. And then I would like, if I had to breathe, I would just like smell a hand sanitizer and then like keep drinking this like disgusting devil slice stuff. And this is a beautiful part about perspective is maybe when I was three quarters of the way done with that. And I was like, I was like, I'm not going to be able to do two more of these. I was like, I just can't do it. And a nurse came in after one of my crazy bouts. And um, she she was like, no, she's like, you have to do four liters total. But she's like, she's like, you finish that and you're done. And so I thought she meant four pitchers, but those two liter things only did do two. So I was almost done with the same one. And it was crazy. When she said that, I was like, the rest seemed like it was cake. I was like, I can do this. Plus, I knew it was, that was the one thing standing between me and sleeping. So I was able to kind of get that down. I think I ended up shitting in the bed eight times, nine times, a lot of times. I had a little strategy down for that too. Um, but it was a hard, it was a hard night. I think I finished that second one around like 3 a.m. And then I just knocked out um, as much as you can in a hospital, a beeping and being connected to wires and having four liters of, the nurses kept coming in being like, why aren't you sleeping? And I'd be like, because you made me drink four liters of laxative at 3 a.m. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, I'm having kind of a hard time here. Um, that next day, uh, had the colonoscopy um, in the afternoon, just pretty much my whole time in the hospital. I'm not reading. I'm not watching movies. I'm, I'm not watching TV. I'm just like thinking about life. What got me here? Thinking about death where I'm at with my life. And those are some thoughts I'll share later at the end of the pod. But the colonoscopy, they end up giving me some drug. I'm not sure what this drug was, 
but it was potent. And so they wheeled me down to this other part of the hospital. I was stationed there, got ready for my for my treatment. They wheeled me into this other room. Um, and man, when those drugs hit, I was like, I, the way that I the way that I'll take these whenever I have heart, like intense sedatives like that, I like to do it with my eyes closed. And so before they even give me the drug, I just close my eyes and then I kind of let it take me where it goes. And so I could feel them inside of me. And this is a really weird analogy, but I felt like it was a video game and I could feel something moving around inside of me. It wasn't, it wasn't painful, but it wasn't comfortable. But as it would move, so would like my visions. And it felt like I was almost in like a video game where like I was like an arbiter of some sort that was like roaming through a landscape. And as I would go through the landscape, there'd be like new like neon like vegetation would like spring up and it was like all black, but all these like neon trees and shrubs and things. And I would kind of like come to a point and just kind of like stay a little stationary. And then as they would move the camera around, I guess, inside of me, I again, kind of like my perspective would move almost like it was like some sort of a video game where they were like controlling me from inside of me. It was really weird. The vision itself was, although I just felt a lot of movement in my brain. It was like very odd, but, um, it was, whatever those drugs are, it was potent. They finished that. I'm still out for like another hour. And then they went back to my room. And I'm back to my room for hours on end again, just kind of chilling in and out. And they come back and they say, hey, we figured out that you're, they're like, did you, had you taken any drugs before you came? And I told them about my little drug cocktail I had on Thursday. And they said that my, I believe this small intestine, the one that's the below, there's one in the middle. I can't remember which one that is, but I think it's your small intestine is below um, that was inflamed. And apparently my little drug concoction had there had been some lesions on that intestine or something like that and the drugs there's a certain type of drugs a family of drugs that has to do with like ibuprofen and uh, naproxen aleve that type of that um irritated the lesions and like these had these like blisters that popped on the intestine and because my low platelets they it just slowly bled and I didn't have the platelets to like heal it up until I got to the hospital and they gave me more blood and more platelets and stuff. And then they're like, we're going to keep you for one more night, even though it doesn't seem to be bleeding anymore. We're going to check your levels in the morning. And if it's all good, then you can go home, stay another night, third night. And in the morning they take my levels and everything and I'm good to go. Um, I still feel a little weird, but, uh, a lot better. And there was just, it was really strange, again, being in the hospital for kind of an extended stay and a couple realizations and also with the payment. I forgot to tell you this too, but um, I think my first day there, after the night, after that hard, that, that first hard night, my first day, they came in and, excuse me, in the States, they're normally like, you do everything, at least in my experience, they do everything and then they foot you with the bill at the end. Here, the woman was like, we're going to charge you a lot of money for for me, it was a lot of money. It was about 10 million pesos, which I think like $3,000. Like, we'll charge you this, and then whatever you don't use, we'll reimburse you. But then they charged me, and they just like, I got my, I looked at my bill afterwards, and it was like all these tests and things because I have this really weird blood problem that I think they were trying to figure out. And, and I, it was a lesson that I need to create like a dossier on this blood problem. So when I show up to a hospital or anything, I can just be like, here's what it is. Cause there are all these tests of strange things. I think they're trying to figure out what's going on and, um, it is what it is. But, uh, overall the highlights, low lights were, I think, uh, uh, always it comes to the places, people and places, and that little nurse lady who was my guardian angel made my stay. There was also a gastroenter, uh, the gastroenterologist guy was really sweet and he ended up staying. He came after work one of his shifts and we just chatted for a bit and he like, I told him I had music. He got my Spotify link and just like, we just, you know, he told me about like this vacation he went on. It was just, it was just cool. But the people that, that really made an effort, it was, it was intimidating because it was almost all in Spanish except for a few a few doctors who would visit me maybe once a day, give me a little update in some English. But for the most part, everything was in Spanish. Um, 
and the people that really cared and really tried. And I think that that little guardian angel lady was so sweet and I could just tell really wanted to care for me and wanted to make my, you know, make sure I got better, which was really heartwarming. And then there was one nurse that was really fun and she would come in and she would like bathe me in the mornings and like pour water on me and stuff because they wouldn't let me leave the bed and she was fun. And the gastroenterologist dude was really cool. And there was one nurse as well, um, excuse me, one doctor and she would come in and tell me what was going on in the mornings give me like my little like briefing for the day in English. And that was really helpful. Hard parts were the, that one night with the laxatives and shitting in the bed was really tough, like really mentally exhausting. Um, I also didn't eat pretty much the whole time. I couldn't eat. Uh, except like they gave me some little jello things. It was all gastroenterologist stuff. So, um, gastrointestinal stuff. So, um, I'm glad I practiced the fasting, but just being like super out of it. And then also like with the blood and being just like not being able to leave the bed, it was just like tough physically. And then I don't blame them because it's hard work and it's probably really frustrating to have someone who doesn't speak your language fluently. But I, there were definitely some nurses that like lost their patience with me and that was that was hard because I don't, I know it's their job. And so I felt, I felt kind of bad, like making their job even harder for them. But I could tell some people just thought I was an idiot because they would say stuff to me and then say it to me louder. Like I would understand when it's louder and I'd be like, can you just say it a different way? Um, but the, the context of being in like a medicine, being in a hospital, I just, there are so many words for like syringe and what an IV is called and what a spleen is called and like organs and platelets and like all these things that I just didn't, I just didn't know the words for those. And so that was tough, but, um, made my way through it and figured it out. A lot of Googling after conversations and learned a lot of new words, learned what spleen is in Spanish, basso, although it's still called a splenectomia, it's still called a splenectomy, but their word isn't a spleen. It's a, it's a vase or like a glass which is interesting. So, um, I think, I think if my, if that's right, but anyways, the last part of this was I spent a lot of time in there thinking and like I said, feeling, thinking and feeling, and I didn't want to distract myself with anything. Cause I just wanted to feel in the moments, feel the needles, feel the pain, feel the frustration, feel the fear, and also feel the gratitude. I think this is the part I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to hold it together as much as I can, but I ended up feeling, I ended up accepting and feeling okay with death. And I, I this is actually something I've, I've been working on a lot over the last year and a part of that is there's a lot of pieces to this to this idea but one of them is um it scares me a little bit in a way because of that kind of comfort of when you see any movie with the rock or Brad Pitt, or Gerard Butler, or all these, when they got to save the world, they're always like, yeah, I want to save the world, and they're always like, but I'm saving it for my family, right? They're always like, I'm doing this courageous thing, but for my family, and it's like, they go through hell and back for their family, and that was part of the reason why I got the vasectomy, was I realized that I like the idea of being of being able to like move on if I needed to and not be on the hook. Like if you have kids, I think it's different. I think you fight more or if you have a partner, like a spouse or something, I think you like fight more. And I started to just question myself and wonder if I've taken this idea of disattachment or attachment too far where I've really embraced the idea of like minimalism with objects in terms of living out of two backpacks, being more comfortable, just kind of like letting things come and go, being less attached to them, feeling like I'm Edward Norton in Fight Club when his apartment blows up and he goes to live with Brad Pitt, with Tyler Durden, 
and and like that like shithole and just being like this is of like he talks about like letting go of his apartment and, and really embracing that idea of of letting things go i also I've, I've been working a lot on letting go of um events which is weird to say but almost things of like my expectations for things of how or assigning meaning to things of how it should go or could go whatever and just like however it went is how it is and accepting that and then assigning meaning to it intentionally meaning one of the things i get frustrated with a lot is is not being where i want to be in terms of my career and of things i could have done should have done etc mistakes and i think that's a part of it is learning that first of all everybody i think feels that way maybe not everybody but i feel like a lot of people feel that way that's not universal to me and in doing so this process of like learning to let go of things and and expectations i also think unfortunately or maybe fortunately i've also kind of learned to let go of people um in terms of relationships and and more fluidity in that regard of like that people can come into your life when you need them friends you can be very close with somebody and then if you've ever had a, a breakup, then you know what this is like. Someone can go from you being your best friend to a stranger relatively quickly and, and embracing that more with friendships where people kind of coming into your life and I guess it's more like emotional minimalism maybe is what it is, uh, but just being like, okay, if things aren't forever. And I think some friendships, especially older friendships, people sometimes want them to be the way that they always were. But as people were always changing, and developing and growing so it makes sense that those those friendships and relationships are going to change and morph as you do too um and so but there's this idea i think of almost that's made in this but you know hospital reflections of maybe a feeling maybe like a little cowardly because of it because i'm not on the hook for anything for kids dog spouse and so i think this idea around death of being okay with it is and this idea of maybe feeling a little cowardly around it is because it's not like i need to then like i don't need to live for anything which is kind of a scary thought and i've also had the thought before when death is close like that that like i'd be okay restarting and I feel like that's probably not a great place to come from because it's almost like I'm like, I'd be down to give this another shot, you know? And I think sometimes I get frustrated. I can get frustrated with, with maybe myself and, and how things have turned out and not exactly who I am or, or with the cards I've dealt, any of that sort of stuff. And, and frustrated with the fact that I feel that way because especially being in a place like a hospital, realizing that I have so much to be grateful for and that I'm, I'm playing life on very easy as a white American man. I've got the, I've got this card stacked in my favor and how, and I think that that can be an interesting shift in perspective. I'm just trying to understand how much, how much I actually have and that like to maybe to maybe ha feel like this is more to maybe not be willing to give it up quite so easily um, and that I remember being I remember going through these small I took a I took a motorcycle trip with a friend when I was in Vietnam, we went from Da Nang up to Hanoi and about five day motorcycle trip, motorcycle, we were like these little scooters, but, um, we would go through these really remote villages in Vietnam, really remote and we're way out in the middle of nowhere. And there'd be like little boys and little girls. But I just remember for some reason, a lot of little boys and they would come out to the street 
guess they'd hear you coming and like either wave to you or just kind of like stare at you. And we were both white. And so obviously it was just different. We had these big helmets on and um, they would just be like, whoa, you could just tell they're like, what is this? What is going on? And we'd go through and they'd wave and we'd wave. And in those little villages, like how the cards are so stacked against you in terms of like whether you step on a snake or a rusty nail or it's like clean water. Just like there are so many and you're so far out in the middle of nowhere that people have a lot of kids because a lot just don't end up making it. And it's it's like to make it through that, like how hard you got to fight to even make it through that type of a life that like you really got to want it. And here I am kind of like with everything served up in the silver platter. And I'm like, eh, I could give it up. Um, that is kind of crazy to think about, but it's also very real. And I also think sometimes how real those feelings of regret and self-acceptance are and how much I, I actively work on changing those and flipping those perspectives instead of like a why me sort of a thing in terms of like the, the, the blood stuff or the, the spleen and the crashing, whatever traumatic events you have, you meaning me, I can only speak from my experience, is this idea of framing them differently. And instead, because um, sometimes I'll be like, it'd be really, I sometimes think, think I sometimes struggle with acceptance, self-acceptance of just like wanting to be normal, you know? And realizing instead that those, those events, we have the power how we frame them. And it takes a lot of work and working through this myself, but like of something like the, the blood had just happening, you know, having this weird disorder, um, that it's actually because of this disorder, I think that has motivated a lot of my actions because death has always felt right there, you know, kind of just watching me. Like he's not sitting next to me, like, staring me in the face that goes from the skiing accident, but he's just like across the room, just kind of watching me, kind of stepping a little bit closer, one of those things where you kind of glance up and it's getting closer, but you don't really realize it because you don't see the movement. It's so gradual. It's just every time you look up, it seems to be getting a little closer to you that it's like, it's because of, it's actually because of the almost dying shit. Whenever you get kind of close to that or something really real happens, even somebody close to you passing away, that you, it helps me, like pull out of the matrix and realize how special living is because it's not guaranteed. And we're like, that's the only thing we're all guaranteed really is that we aren't making it out of this thing alive until Elon Musk finds a way to engineer that. Like that's the one thing you can count on is that we all are ended up in the same place eventually. And that is, it's because that our time is so limited that that's really what makes it so special that like how many movies and books like tuck everlasting and shit like that are about when you can live forever, it becomes meaningless because none of these events hold any significance anymore. And that it's that piece alone that really, it's the fact that we don't get more of it that makes it special. And that makes it the most valuable resource because it's the only one you can't make more of. Um, and so having events like this and being in hospitals, you realize when you're just, when death is a lot closer and you just can see reference points of it just, I think it really helps wake you up. And I, I, I went in there feeling kind of frustrated and in the bed and you're connected to all this stuff and, shitting in the bed and the lack and it's like ah and you just feel like just frustrated and by the end i think i left feeling still just still frustrated and scared but also really grateful that i've had it's been a good life man it's been a good life and that you're never really promised tomorrow, even though it might feel like it. 
and that nothing matters as much as we think it does. And that, in those moments, right, I've got this dream of being a rock star, chasing the music stuff, but in those moments when I was in the hospital, this is where I think sometimes the, the, the detachment from things can sometimes shoot myself in the foot that like, it, like none of that really matters. That like I could go right now. And people care. Obviously, I really appreciate that you all have reached out, but that it's not, it's not that big of a deal, which is, I think, scary. And maybe I need to work on my perception about life, but um, it's just interesting how, I guess, how willing I was to let it go in a weird way. And maybe I should work on finding a reason to be on the hook that like maybe my mission isn't as important as I thought it was. Cause it wasn't like, I was like, I'm leaving behind. I didn't feel like I was leaving behind anything. Obviously there's my family y'all, but not like, I think it's different if you have kids, I think it, I'd be different. You know what I mean? Or if you had like a spouse or something where this is, um, I almost feel like I'm already on borrowed time. So I already just feel like just kind of lucky to be here and to even have a chance to chase the dream. And that I guess really reinforces that concept too. It's very humbling that we're all, we all end up in the same place, right? Like I said, and, um, how much when you're in that gown and you're stripped down and you're shitting on yourself that like we're all, it doesn't matter what your career is, what you do, anything like that. Like you're how quickly we become, you can become humbled very fast and how quickly all of this can be taken from you and how important health is because when you can't move to how quickly your body starts to just, I could feel my body already starting to like, cave in on itself almost after three days of just being in bed um that is like it's how important that is and that the only thing that really matters is the day-to-day and how to find content in the day-to-day because the rest of it is just is is just it's fleeting it's really fleeting and i think is maybe part of this is also cultural where a couple weeks ago I went on a date, I went on a date with two different uh, people and they both had had brothers that were older brothers that were killed. They're both Colombian women, but they both were like, yeah, it was like, they're both older than me, but they're both like, that was kind of a thing. Like, they're like, this is not uncommon to just have older brothers that were killed. And, um, the death, same when I, you know, when I was in age, like, I think, I think death feels very heavy often, but that it's, it's like the only thing that really is a part, it's like the only other thing that is like a real part of life is death. And so it was just interesting kind of working through these ideas um, while I was there and while it was a little bit closer again and, and kind of stare me in the face again um, of whether what I want to leave behind or whether if what you even leave behind matters. Just a lot of that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, leaving, feeling incredibly grateful for the fact I ended up born where I was born, to the people I was born to, for the opportunities that I've had. I think just the fact of being in the States we don't even realize is so lucky just to be happen to be the place that you're born in is like 90% of the game. Um, and I think I take that for granted a lot. And so it was a cool kind of wake up call again to appreciate life, appreciate where we are and what we got. And that so far um, I've been able to escape it twice Maybe three times, depending on what you count. 
I've used three of my nine lives, maybe two of my nine lives, two and a half. Hopefully another six to go. And it, it gives me even more kind of a motive to just like live, to be present, and to do what you want to do because it can all be taken from you in the blink of an eye because of some weird drugs that you happen to take on a Thursday afternoon. And that's the way that it goes. Thank you for tuning in. If you made it this far, as always, appreciate y'all. Excuse me. Sorry for the scare on on the the social media posts. I meant to. I should have made that more clear that I was already home. I was good. Back in action. Um, thank you for all the love that you showed my way. And um, looking forward to uh, the next chapter. I feel like I've a re wake up, a reawakening. Realize I got some things to work on, and uh, kind of. New direction, same goals, but uh, we're going to get it. And um, hopefully new uh, new lease on life per usual that it's these moments that I think really make things special because it keeps everything in perspective. Appreciate y'all. Check you in a minute. Peace.